Or maybe if the truth were known, maybe there's other things stirring in your heart today. We all have those kinds of stirrings that, uh, that come into our heart and, and seek to disrupt our lives. Maybe anger is stirring or jealousy is stirring or, or maybe revenge is stirring in your heart. What's stirring in your heart? And today, would you allow the Spirit of God to offer a glimpse of Palm Sunday, to offer a glimpse of Easter in your heart? You know, over the, the last weeks, that's what we've been asking God to do. We've taken the last four weeks and we've, we've looked back into the Old Testament and certainly we have to confess that we read and we interpret and understand the Old Testament through, through New Testament lenses, through the lenses of Christ. So as we've read through the story of, of Joseph and, and the stories and encounters between uh, of Elisha and of Elijah and last week of Hosea, we, we saw glimpses of Easter. We saw glimpses of the cross and, and of resurrection and of new covenant and of new things that, that are coming. So my prayer for us today is that we would continue to capture a glimpse. Now, I, I want to offer a glimpse of what's in my bag. So I want to ask the kids to come up uh, real quick. If uh, any kids that are interested in catching a glimpse of what, what I've got in this bag, I want to tell you something. Y'all come up. Now, Gay and I, many of you may not know, Gay and I chose to be married during spring break. So we could take all these wonderful spring break, break kids. Y'all come sit here on the on the step, and I'll, I'll stand down here. And uh, Tuesday is our 25th anniversary, and so we decided we would get away for a few days. We took the kids to Grandma's and Grandpa's, which is a great thing to do, and then uh, we got to get on a plane and go to New York, and we've never been, and just spend some really special days there celebrating our anniversary and, and just being together, um, and we had a great time with that. And one of the places that we went down at Times Squares, is a place called M&M World. Now, how many of you like M&Ms? Anybody up here like M&Ms? Have any of you ever been to M&M World? No. None of you have? What do you think they have in M&Ms, at M&M World? Yeah. M&Ms. All right, there's no Tootsie Rolls there. There's no Snicker Bars there. But there is like every kind and color of M&M you could ever imagine. And they have T-shirts Y'all seen the M&M commercials? Um, yeah. Yeah. And they have, every one of those characters has their own t-shirt. So you can go to M&M World and you can get all kinds of M&Ms. You can get coffee mugs. You can get t-shirts. You can get all kinds of great stuff. And you know what we got? Our twins? Yeah. Um, guess what? What? Um, in this um, commercial, um, this person said um, M&M World is really, really awesome. It is. It is. All right, so, and you can, what we got, Jennifer and Alyssa, we got them M&Ms with their names on it. You know, you can get M&Ms with your names on them. So that, that's a pretty cool place. So I brought something back from M&M World for you. So what do you think might be in here? M&Ms. You're so right. What, what, what's your favorite color M&M? Um, uh, green. Green? What's yours? Blue. Blue? Anyone have a different color? Red? Anyone else? Yeah. Red. Red. What's yours? You like pink ones? They had pink ones there. Isaiah, what's your favorite color? Yellow. Yellow. All right. 
So here we go. You ready? I brought some M&Ms. Maybe. Let me see what I brought. <gasps> batteries. <laughs> and you know what? These, are, these batteries are dead. <laughs> these batteries don't even work. That's a good question. What were they doing in there? Aren't you kind of disappointed? Yeah. You thought I was going to bring you all some M&Ms, didn't you? But I brought you dead batteries instead. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Y'all will never come up again, will you? When I ask you to. No, you know what? I did bring some M&Ms. And you know what? Here's what I'll do. I'll share them with you after church, okay? So after church, if you want a couple of M&Ms, come down and we'll share some M&Ms. All right? Now, y'all listen and see if you can figure out what this has to do with Palm Sunday, okay? All right. Y'all can go back to your seat. Thanks for coming up and helping today. So here we go. Can we make it work, right? <laughs> well, let's go to, to Matthew chapter 21. It's Palm Sunday. Jesus and his disciples are coming back into Jerusalem. Now, we need to remember that, that earlier, and it's the account that takes place in John, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember that account? It's right towards the end of his ministry. It's right before the, uh, uh, the Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday. And if you remember, when they got word that Lazarus was sick, the disciples, Jesus said, oh, we're going to wait. And they got word that Lazarus had passed away. And Jesus said, well, let's go. And the disciples, remember what the disciples said? But Jesus, they want to arrest you in Jerusalem. They want to they kill you in Jerusalem. Things aren't good in Jerusalem, Jesus. Let's not go. But Jesus said, no, we, we need to go. We need to go and tend to Lazarus and be there. And here's what Matthew, excuse me, what Thomas said when Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. He said, let us also go, the disciples, let us go guys, so that we too can die with Jesus. So going to Jerusalem, you can see some of the anxiety and even fear that the disciples would have had. And yet Jesus was determined to go into Jerusalem on the Sunday before Passover. And, and if you remember, during those, those huge feasts, and Passover was the big feast, during those feasts, thousands of people, Jews, would make their pilgrimage into Jerusalem. So you can just imagine that, that on that Sunday before, that people were beginning to show up. And there was beginning to be a crowd, and things were beginning to stir in Jerusalem in preparation for Passover. And Jesus says... Let's go. And he'd arranged some interesting things to take place. He arranged for a donkey to be provided for him to ride into town. Now, why would Jesus come in on a donkey? Isn't that, isn't that, so a horse would have been a lot better, right? A chariot would have been better. But Jesus said, no, go, there's a horse that's ready for me. Why a horse? I mean, why a, why a donkey? Well, because the scripture prophesies in Zechariah 9.9, that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so, in, in a very public way, Jesus is announcing, proclaiming that he's the Messiah. And so on this Palm Sunday, he's making this declaration by coming in on this donkey that he, he's Messiah. And then something crazy began to happen. As people saw him coming in, as some of the folks knew who he was, they began laying their palm branches down in front of him. 
It's kind of like the red carpet treatment for us, right? If there's a special event or something really significant is going on and there's some honored guests, then you'd roll out the red carpet for them, right? And so it's the same kind of a deal as Jesus begins coming into to Jerusalem on the donkey and people get wind of it and they begin to, to take their palm branches and begin to put them on the, on the ground in front of Jesus and wave them in the air. Now the palm branches were a symbol of rejoicing. They were a symbol of, of God's goodness. They were a symbol of victory and of peace. They would wave palm branches and put palm branches before folks like a king coming home from a victorious battle. Like, like an athlete who had gone off and, and won competition and won the, the wreath or the, the gold medal. And so this was a way that, that people were, honor, were, were honored and, and that victory was symbolized. And so Jesus is proclaiming that he's Messiah. And so the people begin to celebrate that and they begin to catch the spirit of this. And they bring out their palm branches and they begin to sing, just like we sing. They begin to sing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna means salvation. It means salvation, not in the future someday, but salvation now. Salvation is today. And so Jesus comes in riding on a donkey. He comes in and and the people catch a a glimpse of this and they begin to be stirred. They begin to place their palm branches down and to wave them. And then they begin to sing Hosanna. And it's interesting that in, in verse 10, the scripture simply says this, the city was stirred. There was already commotion going on. Things were already stirred. But when Jesus comes in, word begins to spread. And not everybody knows who Jesus is. And so they say, well, who is this? They, they see the celebration. They see the palm fronds being waved. They, they see the commotion. Well, who is this? Well, we hear the, the, the stirring. We hear the ruckus. We know that something's going on in Jerusalem. What is it? Who is this guy? Who, who is coming in? And those that gather, those that know, begin to proclaim, this is the prophet Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus from Galilee. And word begins to filter throughout the city. Now Jesus is on, on a mission of sorts. He, he, he has a place to go. He's not just coming in for the parade and leaving town. But he's making his way towards the temple. And when Jesus comes into the temple, it's, it's, it's fascinating, it's insightful, it's instructive into what, what happens. On this, what we call Palm Sunday, which is next week, so we're getting prepared, we're, we're anticipating, we're getting a glimpse of it today so that we can really celebrate and enjoy it next Sunday. Jesus enters into the temple and the scripture tells us that he begins to do what? He begins to clear the temple. He begins to drive out the money changers and to drive out those who are buying and selling in the temple. He turns over the seats of those that are selling doves. And and in some sense, this seems like totally out of character for Jesus. But Jesus is trying to show us something. He's trying to demonstrate something. He goes to the money changers. Now, what would happen, if you remember, this was a Roman state, so to speak. And so they would use Roman coins. 
When Jesus was asked if they should pay taxes, he asked if they, they had a coin. They gave him a coin and it had the Caesar on it. And he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things that are God's to God. And so, but when the Jews would come into the temple, they couldn't use Roman coins. They had to exchange them for a special temple coin that didn't have the image of Caesar on it. And so what would happen would be is these money changers would charge exorbitant rates to change their money. And some of you have traveled to foreign countries and you have to, to change money. And, and it always, it's, it's cra crazy when the, the, the money changers charge you a, a big fee in order to change the money out. And that's what was going on here. It was, it was unjust. It was in, inappropriate. It hindered the ability of the people to give their offerings because they would bring it in their Roman coin and they'd want to change it out. And the fees were just were, were, were unjust. And then it's interesting, he talks about turning the seats over of those selling doves. Now, in that culture, you were to bring your sacrifice, to bring a lamb and, or, or to bring a dove to be sacrificed. But your animal had to be inspected and declared pure by those in charge. And so one of the rackets that was going on was if, if nobody really brought a pure animal and they needed an animal to sacrifice, then guess what? They, they were kind of a captive audience. They, they had to buy what was on hand. And it just so happened that in the temple you could buy pure lambs and doves. And so you can see where this is going. And it's interesting here that it's, it's, it's identified the seats of those selling doves. Guess who brought the doves to be sacrificed? The really poor. The poor of the nation, the poor of the people were the ones that brought the doves. So, so for many of them, all they could scrounge together would be just enough to bring a dove to offer a sacrifice. And we can see how the poor were being oppressed here in the temple. And when Jesus saw this, and he had seen this repeatedly in his, his trips to the temple. And when Jesus came in from Palm Sunday, and the celebration and the joy and the exuberance, he went into the temple and he began to turn over the chairs and the tables of those who had corrupted the temple. And as you can imagine, if you think things were stirred before, they were really stirred now. In fact, the scripture tells us that the chief priests and the scribes became indignant. They were furious. If they already were planning to arrest and kill Jesus, yeah, they were really, they were really trying to figure this out now. But again, the scripture tells us that Jesus left. And he went back to Bethany, which is where Lazarus and Mary and Martha live. It's probably where they stayed. He went back to Bethany, which was just a couple of miles outside of, of, uh, of Jerusalem. And they spent the night there. And we think, wow, what a, what a Sunday. <laughs> what a day. But something happens on Monday morning that gives us clear insight and, and gives us understanding as to what Jesus was doing on Sunday. Remember, they gotten up in Bethany and they were making their way back to Jerusalem. And the scripture simply says that, that Jesus became hungry. They began their morning journey two miles to get into Jerusalem. And on the way they got hungry and there it was, breakfast. A fig tree in the distance. 
a fig tree full of leaves. Jesus is a smart guy, right? Hey, there's probably some figs on that tree because it's, it's in full bloom. The leaves are there and you know there's, it's got to be full of figs. And so Jesus and His disciples make their way to the fig tree only to discover what? That the fig tree didn't have any fruit. The fig tree was barren. And in something that's really peculiar, Jesus takes offense and He steps back from the fig tree and He curses it. And the Scripture tells us that that fig tree begins to wither and never again produces fruit. You see, I think it's in this encounter with the barren fig tree that Jesus interprets the events of the previous day. With its branches full of leaves, the fig tree from a distance promised fruit to all who were hungry. Yet, arriving at the fig tree that had no figs, one discovered that it didn't have anything. One discovered that it only had leaves and there were no fruit. There was no nourishment. There was no sustenance that would come from that tree. Nothing but empty and broken promises from that tree. You see, the purpose of a fig tree is what? Is to provide figs. Why? So that people who are hungry can eat. The hope that this tree offered from a distance only produced despair once you arrived at the tree. The faith that this tree invited from a distance only proved to be broken as you arrived to discover that there's no fruit. And so, the temple. You see, the temple was that place of worship. That place in which, remember in that day, which, which the presence of God was there in the Holy of Holies. That place where people came to experience the power and the hope of God. The presence of God. It was in that place that people came to experience healing and forgiveness. And so the temple was this beautiful, magnificent place that invited all Sojourners, all pilgrims, all those who were hurting, all those who were in need, all those who wanted to experience and encounter God. The temple from a distance was that place that invited all the people to come and to experience this. Yet on the inside, on the inside of the temple, nothing was found except for greed and corruption, except for discrimination and favoritism. And privilege. The temple had become a place of pride filled religion. On the outside, the temple was full of leaves. On the outside, the temple invited all to draw near to God, to be in His presence, to experience healing and salvation. And so the people came. They came to the temple. They came for the Passover. They came for the sacrifices. They came for the feasts and the festivals. Yet, the broken still left broken. The hopeful 
left hopeless. The poor left poor. The blind left blind. The lame left lame. You see, the leaves of the temple were in full bloom, but there was no fruit. And so you might ask, well, what is the fruit of the temple? In this story in Matthew 21, we discover what part of that fruit is. Jesus says this is to be a house of prayer. Well, one of the fruits of the temple, one of the fruits of places of worship is to be a house of prayer. But also, notice what Jesus does as he offers us a glimpse of Easter Sunday in verse 14. After he cleared the temple, I, I skipped this part on purpose earlier. After he cleared the temple, after he stirred things up, after he ran out the money changers and the dove sellers, guess what Jesus did? He went over, and verse 14 tells us that the blind and the lame came to him, and they were healed. Isn't that what's supposed to take place at the temple? And Jesus gives us a picture of this. The temple is not to be a place of corruption, of greed, of privilege and of discrimination. The temple is to be a place where the poor and the lame and the blind, where they come and where they're received and where they experience healing. And Jesus offers us this picture of the kingdom and of what the true temple is to look like. And verse 15 says, But the chief priests and the scribes became indignant. They became indignant when they saw the wonderful things that he was doing. Jesus is healing the poor, healing the sick and the blind. And the religious leaders are over in the corner and they're angry and they're furious because the people came to the temple and actually received what they were supposed to. Psalm 1. Verse 3 says this, The righteous man, the righteous woman as well, will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, whatever she does, they prosper. You see, this, this picture of the temple as being a place of fruit is pretty consistent throughout the Scriptures. And the scripture envisions the righteous man, the, the, the place where God is, the, the temple, the people of God, as being that place that's planted, its roots are firm, there's, there's water, the water, the living water nourishes the roots. And guess what? Oh, this plant, this tree is beautiful. It has beautiful leaves. But more so than that, the scripture says, it yields its fruit in season. The righteous, the people of God, are that place where there is always fruit. Whatever season that it is, is the appropriate fruit. So, so what that means, if it's a season of anger, guess what? There, there's an appropriate fruit of God that should come out of that season. And the scripture tells us that if we're planted, if we're, if we're righteous, if we're, if we're that people of God that we're called to be, that the tree will know the fruit to bear. I think Paul gives us a little bit more idea of what this fruit is in Galatians 5 when he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is the fruit that the people of God are to, 
to bear in all seasons. So that when we come against hate and prejudice, we respond with love. That's, that's the proper fruit for that season. When we come against anger, maybe the proper fruit for that season is self-control. Because the Scripture affirms anger. It just says, be angry, but do not sin. So what is the fruit that you're bearing today? What, what is the fruit of our church? Are we bearing fruit? Are we bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Or are we a tree that simply has lots of leaves without any fruit? You see, as I look around, I, I see a lot of leaves in our, in our midst. But the real question is, what kind of fruit are we producing? Are we maximizing as a church, as individuals? Are we maximizing our fruit or are we just getting by? Is the harvest plentiful or is the harvest just barely enough? Do those who join us for worship, for Bible study, for fellowship, do they leave hungry still? Or do they leave filled with a fresh taste of the Spirit of God? Do those that we reach out to minister to do they experience genuine love and kindness and patience and gentleness? Or do they leave disappointed and still despairing? You see, the question for us, as we, as we understand what Jesus was doing on Palm Sunday, the question for us is, are we a fruit-bearing church or are we just a leaf-bearing church? Are we a house of prayer? Do we even know what that would look like? What would it look like if we were, we were that house of prayer? You see, a lack of prayer and a lack of healing and dressing the needs of the poor and the hurting, this is what Jesus condemned the temple of His day for. So how would Jesus find us today? I can't help but believe this is a timely message for all of us. A timely message for those of us in the Norman community. A community which is, on this day, struggling with racism and discrimination. Struggling with issues of sexuality. Struggling with issues of violence and of abuse. Is the community around us, is it looking to the churches? And, and what do they see when they look to the churches? Do they see barren trees with not even leaves on them? Those are dead trees. There's nothing there that can help us. Or, or do they see trees with lots of leaves and, oh, there's lots of activities and there's lots of things going on there. But when they show up, there's really no fruit. There's no nourishment. There's, there's nothing that can really help sustain them. Or, or are we, are the churches in our community, are we those fruit-bearing trees that offer healing and nourishment and strength? Do people come to us and, and, and want to hear what we have to say about truth and what we have to say about justice, but to say those words in a context of love and of kindness and of patience? Do we stand for justice and condemnation or do we stand for justice with redemption and reconciliation. 
Are we a house of prayer and healing for the poor, the powerless, the sick, the hurting, and the lost? What fruit are we producing today? What fruit are you producing today? Our world is so hungry. Our community is so hungry. There are those in our families. There are those that are friends that are so hungry. Are we just leaf producing trees? Or do we have some fruit that can nourish and strengthen and bring life and healing to those? Let's pray.